Hi, my name's Andy, and thanks for watching today. Before we get started, we wanted to fill you in on our church. Here at Grace Community Church, we have a mission and purpose. Our goal is to point people towards Jesus. If you are looking for a church, we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here at Grace. There are a couple different ways for you to start getting connected to Grace. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, and more information about service times and smaller groups can be found at ohiograce.com. We would also like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. These times are 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We have a great time gathering for music, hanging out, and learning about who God is and how that affects our lives. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next week here at Grace. Hey, how are you guys doing this morning? All right, good, good. Hey, um, I just want to say, you know, first of all, welcome to church, and I want to say welcome to those of you who are watching online. Also want to say welcome to those of you in Bloomville. Uh, Bloomville is actually, we have a venue in a little town called Bloomville south of us, and um, they actually join us for second service, so we are glad that you guys are with us. Um, man, you guys saw all the graduates we had, right, up on stage? I will be totally honest with you, I am like super bummed that those kids are graduating, and they're not even kids anymore, they're like almost adults, you know, I don't know what they are, but... Uh, but it's, you know, it makes me sad that they're, that they're graduating already. It's, it doesn't seem like it that long ago. But this was, I've been doing youth ministry here for eight, almost eight years. And um, th this class, the class of 2017, it was one of my first classes that I had for almost the whole time. The only year I didn't have them was their freshman year of high school. But uh, I had them from sixth graders basically all the way to, to 12th graders. And, man, it's like sad that they're that they're leaving. It's funny, I can remember some particular students, I can remember back to when I first met them. They were like fresh out of fifth grade, you know what I mean? And it's weird how different my perception of them has changed. I mean, you, I guess you would expect that. They're a lot different. Um, you know, now you grow up in seven years. But it's just funny how, how my perception has changed of them. Have you guys ever had that where you um, meet somebody for the first time Okay, and your first impression of them ends up being completely like wrong. You ever have that? Where it's like, oh, you get to you get to know them a little bit. It might even only be a few days or something. You you know, you get to know them a little bit better, and you're like, whoa, that person's not who I thought they were. Or wow, that you know, it could be both negative and positive, I guess. But your perception changes. And that can really not just be with people, but it can be with anybody. I mean, think about it. Um, for me, when I was getting ready to graduate, the like most graduates, they're ready to kind of move on to the next step in life, you know. And for a lot of them, that's college. For me, that's what it was. And I went to school at a Christian university down in Virginia called Liberty University. And, um, you know, out of high school, I knew that's where I wanted to go. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I was super excited to go. And, and it's funny because now I can look back and think about how I viewed college in high school. And it's like completely different than it really was, you know. Um, I remember thinking, college. Right, you get, man, you, you have so much free time. I mean, think of, and you're with friends 24-7. It's almost like a party 24-7. Like you're just constantly hanging out with your friends. You live with them. You know, it's not like you go home at night. No, it's like you, you do everything with them. Um, I remember thinking, you know, because I was single, so I'm like, man, God's going to give me my soulmate in college. You know, pretty excited. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to meet my, my future wife. And that's going to be exciting, and it's going to be love at first sight, and it's going to be great. I remember thinking about roommates, 
And I had never had a roommate before. And just thinking, whoa, my, me, and my, you know, me and my roommate, we're going to be exactly alike. We're going to like the same things. We're going to end up being best friends. We're going to be able to like, take on the world together. It's funny because now I look back at college and it, you know, the reality of it, that's not what college is like. College, for a lot of the time, equals work. Didn't realize that. Just a few uh, months ago, I like, went through my computer and I tried to print out every paper that I had written. And it was like a stack like this big. You know, just, and I look at that stack and I'm like, that was a ton of work. You don't have as much free time. It's not as much fun necessarily as you think. By the way, I, I love college, and so I'm not saying that. You know, I had a great time. Wouldn't go back, wouldn't change. Well, I would change some things maybe, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, but it's just, your perception changes. Same thing, I, I was blessed with the opportunity. I did meet my wife at school, and I met Kate there, but it wasn't love at first sight. It wasn't exactly how I, how I pictured it being. It wasn't, you know, my perception changes. It was different than what reality was. Roommates. Roommates was completely different. I thought we would be best buddies. Not true. All right? I, it took like an hour for me to get on my first roommate's nerves. You know, I remember he getting upset because I was brushing my teeth wrong. Literally, that's what it was. And uh, my first semester at college, my, I had two roommates. We, so there's three of us in a room. And I, I think I've said this before, but my first roommate was a little different. Um, he, he was actually the one that got mad at me for brushing my teeth wrong, <laughs> um, but he was saying, he viewed himself, he thought he was an Aztec warrior, okay, his words, not mine, I, I'm not making that, you know, he thought, he was like, I'm an Aztec warrior, that's like how he introduced himself, Will, the Aztec warrior, and he hated, yeah, it was weird, and he was 29, I was 19, so there's a little bit of an age difference there, I'm just now catching up to him, because now I'm 29, but, um, but he, and I think he had some mental issues going on, Seriously, but this guy, he hated, one weird thing is he hated Mexican people, all right? He hated Hispanic, he hated uh, Spanish people. He, he had this huge, like, hatred for him, but his last name was Perez. <laughs> I don't know, you know, again, he was kind of messed up, and I really, I, yeah, I didn't really see him. I, I, I wonder what happened to that guy, but uh, I don't know. But um, the other guy was a guy named Kevin, and he was actually there just to write a book about how terrible it would be to live at a, to go to school at a Christian university for a semester. All right, so he's there writing a book. I got this crazy Aztec warrior, and that was my first semester at Liberty. Actually, my, my roommate Kevin, he actually did write that book, and it was actually on New York Times bestseller list for a little while, and um, once in a while I'll turn on the TV and my roommate is on TV, like, in like news, I don't even know what he does. He's like a journalist news guy. And sometimes I'll see him on TV and I'm like, what? What's he doing? You know, it's just weird. Um, but your perception changes, okay? The way you view something, does that, I mean, that doesn't make it true. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it reality. And, um, you know, many times I feel like we develop a certain perception about something and it's just, I don't know, it's just wrong. It's the wrong idea. It's the wrong per perception. It's not accurate. We got the wrong way of viewing it. And I think that happens a ton <coughs> in the church. All right, many people, this is how we view the church. We view, hey, right, what is the church doing for me? Okay, what can the church do for me? How am I growing through this church? Or, or how does this church affect me? How does this church meet my needs? It's all, it's all about me. We view the church really from the eyes of a consumer. It's, it's what am I getting from this church? 
And that's really not how the first church was operated. And that's not how God designed the church to be. And so this morning I want to do something. Um, we're going to be looking at really three examples in the book of Acts, three examples of the first church. And that's what we've, you know, we've been going through the series called Viral. And we've been looking at the first church, how God launched it, how it birthed, and how it started, and kind of how it grew. And so this morning we're going to try to cover three chapters. This is the last Sunday in the series and there's a bunch of good stuff, so I decided to try to hit three different stories. We'll see how it all works out. I'll try not to go long. But we're going we're gonna to just kind of speed on through and um, look at these three examples. And, three examples. and we're going to look at what were the people in the church actually doing? How did the first church operate? How did God design it to be? And we're really going to start right off where we left off last week. Um, uh, Stephen... Remember, you guys remember last week, Stephen, uh, he got stoned to death. Remember, we talked about that? Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, Stephen, he gets stoned to death, and the, the church is really, they start to scatter. Okay, people are starting to be put to death because they have this belief that Jesus was actually God and that he died for their sins and just a matter of weeks before. And so Stephen gets put to death, and you got this guy named Saul, who the Bible says is ravaging the church. He was actually at Stephen's death. We talked about that last week, and, he's, and he approved of it. He's going, yeah, Stephen deserves the death penalty. He deserves to die because of his beliefs. And he begins ravaging, ravaging the church. And the Bible says that, that Saul is going from house to house, and he's literally dragging out anybody who professes uh, the name of Jesus, and anybody who says that Jesus is the Son of God. And so he's dragging them out. He's not differentiating between men or women. He's dragging them all out. He's putting as many as he can in jail. And uh, most of the church, when this starts happening in the capital city of Jerusalem, they take off. I mean, they run for their lives. And one of these guys who runs for their lives, his name is Philip. And so we're going to look at him real quick today in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. So these people take off, right? They take off. They're running for their lives. But you see something weird in here? It says they, they went about preaching the word. They never, stopped, they, they never stopped preaching. They never stopped telling people. Right now we view the word preaching and we're like, well, that's what you're doing right now. And I'm, that's, that's not what's going on here. They're telling people about what Jesus has done. Simple. Right? It's funny, it's like not even up for discussion for them. These people, I feel like if I was running for my life, you know, and someone was trying to kill me and my family, I wouldn't stop for anybody. You know, I'd just be like, get me out of this situation. These people are stopping. Hey, if they, if they meet any Jews, any people that they, that they might know, you know, they're like, hey, let me tell you something. Because this Jesus guy who was just put to death just a little while ago, I mean, he was actually God and, and he can save you. And, and this, is, this is huge news. It's like if you were to ask them, why are you stopping? They would be like, why would I, you know, why would I stop? It's a really completely different attitude than we have today. Um, and so Philip goes to Samaria, and he's telling everyone that he can. He's going to the Jews in that city. He's telling them all uh, that, that he can, and things are going great. The Bible says that the, the church, I mean, it's just growing by leaps and bounds. It's booming in this city called Samaria. And uh, people are starting relationships with Jesus, and they're trusting in Jesus um, with their lives. And uh, the, the Samaria, it's like, it's like a joy, you know, people are like shouting for joy. It's like a joy, it's turned in overnight, in a, in a sense, to like a joyous city. And then uh, Philip, so he's doing the work there, 
And one day, God tells Philip in a vision, he says, hey, Philip, I need you to do something. I want you to go take this road south, um, this desert road south of the city. It doesn't give him a destination. doesn't really give him a reason. I just want you to go. And you know, if I were Philip, I'd be like, whoa, God, I mean, I got, I'm doing stuff here. Like, have you not noticed the work that I'm doing? The church is booming. I mean, these people need help. This is where I need to be. All right, look at all this is going on. I mean, this, this, is, this, is, where I should, this is where I should be. This is where I, I you know, I, I could be used the most. God tells him to go, and he ends up going. It really reminds us that, you know, God's plan is not the same as ours, and a lot of times God's plan doesn't make sense to us, which makes sense because we're human and Compared to God, we're extremely stupid, you know. <laughs> it's God. And, um, and so Philip, he ends up going. He obeys God. He ends up going. By the way, very inconvenient. And um, he's going, he's walking down the road in the desert. There's nothing on this road. And he passes by. The, there's this uh, Ethiopian eunuch that is actually a court official to the queen in Eth- in, of Ethiopia. And he's sitting in his chariot and he is reading the Bible. He's reading the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And in uh, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 8, verse 30, it says, Philip ran up and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Notice one thing here. Philip is the one who initiates the conversation. Right, a lot of times, you know, we don't like to tell, talk to people about Jesus. We don't like to tell people about what God has done for their life. Why? Well, a lot, a lot of our excuses kind of revolves, well, if they, if they bring it up to me, of course, then I'll, you know, then of course I'll, I'll talk to them about it. Philip's the one who initiates the conversation. Next verse. It says, and he said, hey, uh, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come sit up and sit with him. Have you guys ever had that where it's like you read, sometimes, mostly it's usually in the Old Testament or whatever, you read a portion of the Bible and you're just like, what did I just read? You know, you're going, uh, I have no idea what that just means. You know, hey, you guys ever have that? Yeah, okay. Even I, as a pastor, have that once in a while, and I have to really study and figure out what God is actually trying to say there. And, and this guy's struggling with that. He's like, I don't know what I'm reading. I'm reading the Old Testament. I'm reading the book of Isaiah, and this is confusing. I feel lost here. And Philip has the opportunity to respond. This is how he responds in, in verse 35. It says, then Philip opened his mouth. And he began from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, hey, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And then he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. And Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Man, here's an example of just an ordinary guy just doing the work of the church. By the way, that's our main job. Do, do you, we need to realize that. Um, the main job of the church, actually the job of the church, is to spread the word. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, a lot of people, they think, yeah, hey, let's come to church and we're going to uh, do all these rules and we're going to do life a certain way. And, but they, we, we conveniently exclude the, well, I, I'm talking to others about Jesus. No, that's the job. 
That's what we're supposed to be doing. People, people want to grow in their relationship with God and, you know, feel like, well, I need to do a Bible study or I need, I need to read the Bible first and all this stuff. You know, we think that. And, um, you know, you want to grow in your relationship with God? Tell somebody about God. Tell somebody about Jesus. Spread the gospel. That's how you grow in your relationship with God. Tell people. That's really the last thing that Jesus said before he went up to heaven is he told his disciples, hey, tell the world. Don't keep this awesome, beautiful, wonderful news to yourself. But we as Christians, we don't do it. Right? And me included. You know, I feel like I don't do, I definitely don't do this enough. We don't tell others. We certainly don't initiate the conversation like Philip did. We don't do it. It's awkward, you know. A lot of times, this is what I do, is I come up with excuses, right? I'm really good at that. You know, like, eh, well, you know. Here's my excuse, God. You know, we look at a story like this and we're like, well, uh, that's Philip. All right? He's a church leader. He's probably been a Christian for a long time. I mean, of course, like church leaders are supposed to tell people about Jesus. I mean, that's why I give money to the church so that other people can do that, not me. You know, they get paid. The pastors, they get paid to tell people. So, so it's their job, not mine. It's funny to me how we as the church, it's like we don't want to do the work of the church but we definitely want the church to work for us. All right, Philip, that's what he's out there doing. He's doing the work of the church, as are the rest of them. It's really a perfect example. And it's funny how you can now kind of see God's plan. Because Philip left the booming church that's going on in Samaria and the revival that's really happening in that city, and he goes down some desert road, and he was able to, to explain the gospel to this Ethiopian guy, which he didn't have to do, but he did. Now the gospel's being taken, you know, into Africa. Now the gospel's being taken to another continent and uh, through this guy. And you can see how the church is starting to expand. And you can see how God is using the church. And that's really how God wants to use us as well. And so while all this is going on, you got the, you got the church is growing, but the church is still being scattered. And you got people uh, putting to death other people in the church. This guy named Saul, I mean, he's still out there dragging people out of their houses and throwing them in prison. And, and Saul, he's not, I don't know, he's not the executioner, but he's the guy who would take you to prison and then take you to court, and, and he'd be the first one to vote, yeah, this person deserves the death penalty. Okay, this person needs to die. It's time for this person to die because, because of their beliefs, because of what they believe. And so one day, Saul, he decides um, he's going to go to the city called Damascus. He gets some of his friends they go to Damascus, and they're, really they're, their reasoning is they're going to put all the Christians that they can find, all the believers that they can find, and they're going to throw them in jail, right? And they're going to throw them in prison to try to stop this thing that's happening. Actually, they called it the way because they didn't have a name for it. They didn't, you know, there was, it wasn't Christianity. It was like this new way. Um, and so he's going to go stop that. He's on the road to Damascus. Suddenly this, bl- this bright light shines Paul, or his name's Saul, but later it turns to Paul. Saul is blinded, and, um, and he can't see anything. And, this, and he falls to the ground, and this loud voice comes out of nowhere and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, probably in like a, you know, very feeble voice, is like, uh, who are you? You know? And he's like, hey, this is Jesus, and you need to stop persecuting me. I got stuff for you to do. So after that, Saul, he can't see he obviously believes now, right? Jesus actually, um, you know, he spoke to him audibly. And his, even his friends, they could hear it, but, the, but they could see no one. So they lead Paul, Saul by the hand all the way 
the rest of the way to Damascus. At Damascus, Saul stays in some house, and uh, God's got a bunch of believers there. And so there's this one believer called Ananias. God shows up to Ananias in a, in a vision and says, Ananias, I got, I got a job for you. I want you to go to this house and pick up this guy named Saul. And Ananias is like, whoa, 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 whoa. God, I don't know if you got the email this morning, but I'm supposed to stay away from that guy named Saul. You know, I'm, that's not, that's not, he's the one, isn't he the guy that's trying to, I don't know, kill me? <laughs> God, and God's like, yeah, but I got some work for him to do, and I want you to do this. By the way, very inconvenient, right? God never says that the work of the church is easy. God never says that obeying him is going to be easy. I mean, this is extremely difficult. You're going to this guy who's already had a bunch of believers um, put to death, and you're going to him hoping that he's not going to put you to death. And, uh, and so uh, Ananias goes, and he goes to the house, and God actually gives Saul back his sight, and then they go, and, and Saul's baptized. In Acts chapter 9, verse 19, it says this about Saul. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. So he's just been, he's just started, he just got his sight back. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. Notice this word. Immediately. Now, he didn't wait. He didn't say, well, I'm new to this whole Christian thing, and so... You know, first I should probably read the Bible. Or first I should probably, you know, uh, get in a little Bible study and, and grow myself. We use that. It sounds good, right? Where it's like, well, I need to grow more. Yeah, you do. But, and, and that sounds good. But that doesn't give you an excuse to not do the work of the church. Saul, he seems to understand this. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to find a good church for me, to, for me to get involved with. And then maybe, then maybe I'll do the, the work of the church. Then maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk to others about what Jesus has done in my life. That's not what he says. The Bible says he immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. He immediately, just after a few days, uh, he, he, had, he was blind for like three days. So just after three days, he goes and he immediately starts doing the work of the church. It's kind of like having kids. I, uh, I have a son who is almost two years old. Okay, so he's one something. He's almost two. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to keep track. June to June, almost two. But uh, he's getting to the age, you know, and, and he's my first son. I actually got another one on the way in September. He's my, he's getting to the age where you can start telling him what to do. You know what I'm talking about? Right? And it, it's kind of nice, you know, because he's never been able to do that before. It's like a new trick. And uh, it's also nice because he could kind of speak English now. That's new, and I appreciate that. He understands English. Um, but with Toby, my son, one thing that I... I really dislike doing, and I'm probably like most dads in here, I hate doing diapers. It's not my thing. I'm not good at it. Sometimes I, I don't even put them on right. Kate, Kate, my wife, tells me. And, um, you know, it's, it's just not my thing. And, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't done that many diapers in two years. I haven't. My wife is very gracious, and she is a great wife, and she usually takes care of that for me. And I know I got a bunch of ladies in here right now that are judging me. I'm sorry. All right, it's just not my thing, okay? So anyway, once in a while, there will be some unfortunate circumstance that I will have to change Toby's diaper. And you're just like, man, you couldn't have held it for like an hour more. Mom's going to be back in an hour. Come on, man. And it's like, you got to take care of it, you know? And so I go, I do the thing. But what I've learned is I've taught him something, and uh, 
minimal contact with the diaper is really what I'm going for. And so I take it off. I try to, like, you know, bunch it up. However, Kate does it real good. It's like a nice little packet, but I don't know how to do that. But I try my best. And then what do I do? I give it to Toby. And I say, Toby, you take this to the trash. And he does it. It's great. I really like that. It's a great, you know, it's like a, yeah, it's like a trick. Um, he does that for me, and I get minimal contact with the diaper. But what's funny is he's not even two. And I expect that when I tell him to do something, that he immediately does it, you know. I, ex- I, don't, I don't expect him to give me an excuse of, well, I just don't feel like doing that today, or, you know. Or, <laughs> he probably, uh, he, he's usually pretty excited about it. But, um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't tell me, hey, I don't expect him to say, hey, may- maybe later. Right? I expect my child, when I ask him to do something and I know he understands what it is, I expect him to do it immediately. And he's not even two years old. It's really the same thing with us and God. Um, another thing my mom used to always say, and I can't believe I'm using this because I hated this. She used to always tell me, she would say, hey, delayed obedience is disobedience. And then you're like, man, even, so even if I obey you, it's wrong. But if I, you know, if I, if I obey you late, that's wrong. She's going, yeah. <laughs> delayed obedience is disobedience. That's the same thing with God, right? The delayed obedience is disobedience. The whole New Testament, the whole idea, the whole thing that God is trying to get us to understand the church. And when I say church, I don't mean this church right here, Grace Community Church. I don't mean this building. I mean the church, the people within the church. We are the church. The whole idea of the New Testament is for the church to tell others about what Jesus, the, the, the extremely important sacrifice, that event that took place on the cross over 2,000 years ago. That's the work of the church. But what do we do? We delay. We don't do it. Sometimes we forget that delayed obedience is disobedience. And what's funny is, is we delay. We, we don't do the work of the church, and we don't tell others, and we don't tell those that we rub shoulders with. But we still expect to grow in our relationship with God. Right? We don't do the work of the church, but we still go to Bible studies and Sunday mornings. And, and we, you know, we still do all that stuff thinking that we're going to grow in our relationship with God, but we don't do the work. We don't do the main thing that God is trying to tell us to do in the New Testament. We still expect God to bless us, but we don't do the work of the church. Really, our attitude is, what is the church doing for me, not what am I doing for the church? And so the Bible says that Saul, he's actually, he, uh, he immediately goes and he starts doing this. He doesn't wait around. He, he does it immediately. And he's telling all these people in the synagogue, you know, uh, that he possibly can about what Jesus has done. And he's probably telling them his story. And he's excited about it. And he, he's doing his thing. He does it so much. And he causes a ruckus in this city called Damascus that the people that, Paul, that Saul, his name turns to Paul, people that Saul were, was going to help remove the Christians from that city, I mean, they're, they're, they probably feel a little betrayed, right? Like, oh, he was supposed to help us, and now he's one of them. And so they actually devise a plan to take Saul out of the picture. They devise a plan to kill Saul, to put him to death. And so Saul, he has to run. And he actually is kind of weird. If you read the book of Acts, he, like, gets lowered down in a basket. You know, that would probably be just interesting to see. He, but he takes off. He runs, and he's telling everyone that he can while he's running. It's interesting here, we, we look at the example of Philip and we're like, well, you know, Philip's a leader, Philip's been a Christian for a long time. But then we look at the example of Paul or Saul, and uh, Saul's not a church leader. He's only been a Christian for like 
three days. And he's doing the work of the church. And it's like, we think, well, well, I get it, all right? Um, but that's going to be the Apostle Paul. You can't expect me, you know, you can't expect me to do, to be like the Apostle Paul. You can't expect me to, to, to be as good as the Apostle Paul. And one thing I'd just like to say is, well, why not? Why are you writing yourself off so fast? Paul, he's an enemy of God. I mean, he's putting people to death, and God uses him to do such crazy stuff. That's, what, that's really what God does is he takes ordinary people, and he uses them to do extraordinary things. And so uh, Saul, he runs, and he keeps, and he doesn't shut up. He keeps telling people, and, um, and he's out of here. And, and we, you know, we got to remember that, that he's not a church leader, and he's not, he hasn't been a Christian very long, but he's doing this. Um, and, but then we think, you know, I'm no Paul. But check out what happens in, the, in our third example in Antioch, right? Uh, Acts chapter 11. It says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, right? by the way, that persecution, they're running from Saul. That's who they're running. Every, all this is connected. All right? So they're running from Saul. Um, they made their way to Phoenicia in Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except for Jews alone. Okay, so they're telling all the Jews that they possibly can, and, and they're doing this thing. But check out this next verse. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and they began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So up until this point, except for maybe the one exception, which is Philip, talking to the one guy, the Ethiopian uh, guy. They're all, all these people, I mean, think about it. You got, you got the Apostle Paul. Where does he go? He goes to the synagogues. I mean, that's where, that's where the Jews hung out at. You got Peter, right? All, you got the disciples. All these guys, they're only really talking to Jews. All right, it's like they don't get it yet. They, it's like they think that the price that Jesus paid was just for, was just for their kind, just for the Jews. Nobody really realizes yet that this is for everybody until these guys show up on the scene, right? These no-name guys. These are the first people to tell others about Jesus, right? It's funny, you know, if you were to ask, who are the very first people to take the gospel to the nations? Who, who was that? I don't know. Some random no-name guys from an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Oh, and then some other guys from the little coastal town in North Africa, those were the first guys, just some random no-name guys. We don't even have their names. You know, these random unknown guys start to change the world. It's really because of what these guys do in this huge city, which is, which is pretty cool. They, they make such a splash. They're not just going to the Jews. They're going to everybody, the Gentiles, people like us, non-Jewish people. And they're going to everybody. And they make such a splash in this large, really evil city called Antioch that, um, that the, they, get, they get a label, okay? They get, they get a nickname. First time ever in the history, they're called these Christ followers. The, who are all these Christ followers? That, you know, what's this thing? What's this belief that's, that's spreading? First time they're called Christians because of these random, unknown, unnamed guys. Called Christians for the first time, and here we are today. You know, it really makes me wonder that, you know, what if we... The church. What if we did the work of the church? I mean, and, and some of us do. 
Okay, but what if we like actually made it a priority in our life? Okay, that's what I'm wondering. What if we made that a priority in our life, doing the work of the church, telling everybody that we possibly can about Jesus? You know, how different, let's say this, how different would Grace Community Church be? You know, how different would Fremont be? How different would Clyde be? How different would Sandusky County be? If we made that a priority in our life. You know, how different would, would the world be? It's funny, um, as a pastor, I get people all the time. People all the time come up and they ask, hey, hey, Zach, do you guys have a, you know, such and such a ministry? And I look at that and really what they're asking is, hey, do you have a ministry that perfectly fits me? Usually it's, and usually it's, it's pretty narrow. You know, like, hey, do you have a ministry that's um, for women who have been divorced in the last three years but are also mothers of preschoolers that, you know, is, that are between the ages of 37 and 39? We're like, and I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> we don't really have a ministry like that. But, but you know, people, it, it's, it's such a narrow thinking. You know, it's, it's, I need a small group for this. It, do you have that? And really what, what we're doing is we're looking for ministries that are just for me. Ladies. Look around real quick. Like, take a nice, nice look around. Look around around you. There's a bunch of other ladies in here. Let me just say this. All right. Sunday mornings, this is our women's ministry. This is our best, our main women's ministry. Yeah, we have, we have other uh, groups. We've got, you know, Mindy's doing her thing on Wednesday nights, and she does a great job. You know, but this is our main, this is our main women's ministry right here, Sunday mornings. This is all you need. All right. College students, we get that a lot. This is our main college ministry right here, Sunday mornings. It's really all you need. Single people, we get that a lot. Look around. All right, actually, take a, you can look around for the rest of the service. I'm okay with it. Single people, look around. This is our best singles ministry right here, Sunday mornings. This, honestly, is all you need. You know, I get a lot of people, it's, well, you know, I want to get a smaller group so I, so I can meet people. Well, meet those people that you sit with, you know, sit around on Sunday morning. I know how it works out there. You got your seat and you like your, you know, you got your little area and you don't like to, you know, you like to stay in your little area every week, right? Meet those people that are around you. Become a greeter at the door. We have, there's opportunities for you to meet people while you're doing the work of the church. Sometimes I get this from, from parents and this actually happens a lot, where parents will come up of middle school or high school students, they'll say, hey, well, you know, my student doesn't do well in large groups. You know, you know what I want to say, but I never have the guts to say. I'm like, well, your kid's going to hate heaven because that's a large group. You know, it is. We're, whoa, some people were, did not sound that, but it's true. The church should be a large gathering of Christians that is forever growing. That's what the church is meant to be. That's what heaven is going to be. All right? Church was never meant to cater to each individual in the congregation. That's not what the church is for. The church is supposed to be reaching out, not reaching in. And by the way, if, you went, you know, if you've been taught otherwise, if you've had you know, other churches that say something different, go back and read. I invite you, go back and read the book of Acts. What was that? <laughs> so, uh, maybe I, other people hear that? All right. I don't know. It's freaked me out. But uh, <laughs> go back and read the book of Acts. All right. God is, and the whole New Testament is about this. And the church was, is supposed to be on mission. It's funny how 
we have people on the inside of the church, or we have people on the outside of the church that are afraid of the church, but then we got people on the inside of the church who are afraid to be the church. God has called us to be the church, and He's called us to reach out and spread the word and to tell everyone. And the honest truth is, we don't. And, and, and I'm, I'm in there on that. Some of us, it's like, you know, we have a flat out, we just flat out tell God no. You know, we're like, wow, I should really tell that person and, and no. It's uncomfortable, inconvenient, not interested. Others of us, and this, is, this would be me, you know, others of us, we're more slick about it. You know, we're more sly. Like, and that's where we come up with the excuses and to try to justify why this isn't the best time or why it's right to not do the work of the church. And we look at an example like Philip and we say, well, I'm not a leader like Philip and I haven't been a Christian for a long time like Philip. And, and then we look at Paul who, by the way, wasn't a leader and who hadn't been a Christian for a long time. But we like, look at Paul and we say, well, Paul, he's going to be the apostle Paul. And so I'm not, I'm not going to be like him. That's, you know, that's not me. And then we look at, uh, but then we look at these no-name guys and these are just random guys doing the work of the church. Extremely inconvenient. I mean, they had to sail to Antioch just to tell people. Out of their way. And here we are 2,000 years later because some guy named Philip was more worried about the lost than about how the church was catering to him. Here we are 2,000 years later because an enemy of God named Saul, and, and, and a great enemy of God, believed that his mission was to reach as many people for Jesus as he possibly could. And he wasted no time doing it. He immediately did it just days within his new belief. Here we are 2,000 years later because some random guys from Cyprus and Cyrene viewed themselves as producers and not consumers. And so this morning, some of you, some of us, we need to change your view. You need to change your perspective of the church. You need to understand what the church was actually designed to be. Uh, really, in all three of uh, these examples, they, choose, they chose to do the work of the church, which wasn't convenient. They had different backgrounds. They had different hurdles to jump through, and they had different struggles. One thing I tell high schoolers all the time is I say, hey, um, your only job is to do whatever you possibly can to reach as many people as you possibly can for Jesus. That's your job. All right, worry about that, and you're, that's, that's the only thing you're worried about, and you're good. And so that's my challenge for you guys this morning is, is give, your, you know, give your life fully to God. And when you do that, let him use you. It's interesting, I, I 100% believe this is true, is that you will know how much you are surrendering to him by how useful you are in the church. And I don't mean Grace Community Church, I mean the church as a whole, doing the work of the church. See, it's when we're used by God, that is when the message and the gospel goes viral. It's funny, we benefit a lot from these guys in Acts doing the inconvenient, awkward thing of telling everybody that they can about Jesus. We're the ones who benefit 2,000 years later. But the church wasn't meant to end in Acts. It didn't end in Acts. We weren't, we weren't supposed to stop, stop telling people in Acts. No, we're, we are those people now, and God has called us to do the work of the church. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for loving us. Lord, we ask that you would help us uh, to just fully surrender to you and allow you to use us. We understand that that takes initiative on our part. We're the ones who need to initiate the conversations. God, we ask for your help in that, and, and when we do that, we ask that you would give us, uh, make us brave, give us boldness to do the work that you have called us to do.
God, we thank you for loving us. And we thank you for this day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching and we hope to see you next week here at Grace.